Uvula Audio presents Volume 3 of The Master Key Chapter 7 The Demon Becomes Angry When Rob had been hugged and kissed by his mother and sisters, and even Mr. Jocelyn had embraced him warmly, he gave them a brief account of his adventures. The story was received with many doubtful looks, and much grave shaking of heads, as was quite natural under the circumstances. "'I hope, my dear son,' said his father, "'that you have now passed through enough dangers to last you a lifetime, "'so that hereafter you will be contented to remain at home.' "'Oh, Robert!' cried his mother, with tears in her loving eyes. "'You don't know how we've all been worried about you for the past week.' "'A week?' asked Rob with surprise. "'Yes, it's a week tomorrow morning since you flew into the air and disappeared.' "'Then,' said the boy doubtfully, "'I've reached home just in time.' "'In time for what?' she asked. But he didn't answer that question. He was thinking of the demon, and that on the afternoon of this very day he might expect the wise and splendid genius to visit him a second time. At lunchtime, although he did not feel hungry, he joined the family at the table and pleased his mother by eating as heartily as of old. He was surprised to find how good the food tasted, and to realize what a pleasure it is to gratify one's sense of taste. The tablets were all right for a journey, he thought, but if he always ate them, he would be sure to miss a great deal of enjoyment, since there was no taste to them at all. At four o'clock he went to his workshop and unlocked the door. Everything was exactly as he had left it, and he looked at his simple electrical devices with some amusement. They seemed tame beside the wonders now in his possession, yet he recollected that his numerous wires had enabled him to strike the master key, and therefore should not be despised. Before long he noticed a quickening in the air, as if he were suddenly surcharged with electric fluid, and the next instant, in a dazzling flash of light, appeared the demon. "'I am here,' he announced. "'So am I,' answered Rob. "'But at one time I really thought I should never see you again. I've been—' "'Spare me your history,' said the demon coldly. "'I'm aware of your adventures.' "'Oh, you are?' said Rob, amazed. Then you know... I know all about your foolish experiences, interrupted the demon. For I have been with you constantly, although I remained invisible. Then you know what a jolly time I've had, returned the boy. But why do you call them foolish experiences? Because they were abominably foolish, retorted the demon bitterly. I entrusted to you gifts of rare scientific interest, electrical devices of such utility that their general adoption by mankind would create a new era in Earth life. I hoped your use of these devices would convey such hints to electrical engineers that they would quickly comprehend their mechanism and be able to reproduce them in sufficient quantities to supply the world. And how do you treat these marvellous gifts? You carry them to a cannibal island, 
Well, even your crude civilization has not yet penetrated. I wanted to astonish the natives, said Rob, grinning. The demon uttered an exclamation of anger and stamped his foot so fiercely that thousands of electric sparks filled the air to disappear quickly with a hissing, crinkling sound. He might have astonished those ignorant natives as easily by showing them an ordinary electric light bulb. He cried mockingly. The power of your gifts would have startled the most advanced electricians in the world. Why did you waste them on barbarians? Really? faltered Rob, who was frightened and awed by the demon's vehement anger. Well, I never intended to visit a cannibal island. I, I meant to go to Cuba. Cuba? Oh, yes. Is that a center of advanced scientific thought? Why did you not take your marvels to New York or Chicago? Or, if you wished to cross the ocean, Paris or Vienna? I never thought of those places, acknowledged Rob meekly. Then you were foolish, as I said, declared the demon in a calmer tone. Can you not realize it is better to be considered great by the intelligent thinkers of the earth than to be taken for a god by stupid cannibals? Oh, yes, of course, said Rob. I wish now I had gone to Europe, but you're not the only one who has a kick coming, he continued. Your flimsy traveling machine was nearly the death of me. Oh, yes, it is true, acknowledged the demon frankly. The case was made of too light a material. When the rim was bent, it pressed against the inner workings and impeded the proper action of the currents. Had you gone to a civilized country, such an accident could not have happened. But to avoid possible trouble in the future, I have prepared a new instrument, having a stronger case, which I will exchange for the one you now have. That's very kind of you, said Rob, eagerly handing his battered machine to the demon and receiving the new one in return. Are you sure this will work? It is impossible for you to injure it, answered the other. And how about my next three gifts? inquired the boy anxiously. Before I grant them, replied the demon, you must give me a promise to keep away from uncivilized places and to exhibit your requirements only among people of intelligence. All right, agreed the boy. I'm not anxious to visit that island again or any other uncivilized country. Then I will add to your possessions three gifts, each more precious and important than the three you have already received. At this announcement, Rob began to quiver with excitement and sat staring eagerly at the demon while the latter increased in stature and sparkled and glowed more brilliantly than ever. Chapter 8 Rob Acquires New Powers I have seen the folly of sending you into the world with an offensive instrument, yet with no method of defense, resumed the demon presently. You have knocked over a good many people with that tube during the past week. I know, said Rob, but I couldn't help it. It was the only way I had to protect myself. Therefore, my next gift shall be this garment of protection. You must wear it underneath your clothing. It has power to accumulate and exercise electrical repellent force. Perhaps you do not know what that means, 
so I will explain it more fully. When any missile, such as a bullet, sword, or lance, approaches your person, its rush through the air will arouse the repellent force of which I speak. And this force, being more powerful than the projective force, will arrest the flight of the missile and throw it back again. Therefore, nothing can touch your person that comes with any degree of force or swiftness, and you will be safe from all ordinary weapons. When wearing this garment, you will find it unnecessary to use the electric tube, except on rare occasions. Never allow revenge or animosity to influence your conduct. Men may threaten, but they cannot injure you, so you must remember that they do not possess your mighty advantages, and that, because of your strength, you should bear with them patiently. Rob examined the garment with much curiosity. It glittered like silver, yet was soft and pliable as lamb's wool. Evidently the demon had prepared it especially for his use, for it was just Rob's size. Now, continued the demon more gravely, we approach the subject of an electrical device so truly marvellous that even I am awed when I contemplate the accuracy and perfection of the natural laws which guide it and permit it to exercise its functions. Mankind has as yet conceived nothing like it, for it requires full knowledge of electrical power to understand even its possibilities. The being paused and drew from an inner pocket something resembling a flat metal box. In size it was about four by six inches, and nearly an inch in thickness. "'What is it?' asked Rob wonderingly. "'It is an automatic record of events,' answered the demon. "'I, I don't understand,' said Rob with hesitation. "'I will explain its use.' returned the demon. Although the electrical forces which operate it, and the vibratory currents which are the true records, must remain unknown to you until your brain has mastered the higher knowledge of electricity. At present, the practical side of this invention will be more interesting to you than a review of its scientific construction. Suppose you wish to know the principal events that are occurring in Germany at the present moment. You first turn this little wheel on the side until the word Germany appears in the slot at the small end. Then open the top cover, which is hinged, and those passing events in which you are interested will appear before your eyes. The demon, as he spoke, opened the cover, and looking within, the boy saw, as in a mirror, a moving picture before him. A regiment of soldiers was marching through the streets of Berlin, and at its head rode a body of horsemen, in the midst of which was the emperor himself. The people, who thronged the sidewalks, cheered and waved their hats and handkerchiefs with enthusiasm, while a band of musicians played a German song, which Rob could distinctly hear. While he gazed, spellbound, the scene changed, and he looked upon a great warship entering a harbor with flying pennants. The rails were lined with officers and men straining their eyes for the first sight of their beloved fatherland, after a long foreign cruise, and a ringing cheer, as from a thousand throats, came faintly to Rob's ears. 
Again the scene changed, and within a dingy underground room, hemmed in by walls of stone, and dimly lit by a flickering lamp, a body of wild-eyed desperate men were plighting an oath to murder the emperor and overthrow his government. Anarchists? asked Rob, trembling with excitement. Anarchists, answered the demon with a faint sneer, and he shut the cover of the record with a sudden snap. "'It's wonderful!' cried the boy, with a sigh that was followed by a slight shiver. "'The record is indeed proof within itself of the marvellous possibilities of electricity. Men are now obliged to depend upon newspapers for information, but these can only relate events long after they have occurred. And newspaper statements are often unreliable, and sometimes wholly false.' while many events of real importance are never even printed in their columns. You might guess what an improvement is this automatic record of events, which is as reliable as truth itself. Nothing can be altered or falsified, for the vibratory currents convey the actual events to your vision, even as they happen. But suppose, said Rob, that something important should happen while I'm asleep. Or not looking at the box. I have called this a record, replied the demon, and such it really is, although I have shown you only such events as are in process of being recorded. By pressing the spring, you may open the opposite cover of the box, where all events of importance that have occurred throughout the world during the previous twenty-four hours will appear before you in succession. You may thus study them at your leisure. The various scenes constitute a register of the world's history, and may be recalled to view as often as you desire. It's, it's like knowing everything, murmured Rob, deeply impressed for perhaps the first time in his life. It is knowing everything, returned the demon. "'and this mighty gift I have decided to entrust to your care. "'Be very careful as to whom you permit to gaze upon these pictures of passing events, "'for knowledge may often cause great misery to the human race.' "'I'll be careful,' promised the boy, as he took the box reverently within his own hands. "'The third and last gift of the present series,' resumed the demon, is one no less curious than the record of events. Although it has an entirely different value, it is a character marker. What's that? inquired Rob. I will explain. Perhaps you know that your fellow creatures are more or less hypocritical. That is, they try to appear good when they're not, wise when in reality they are foolish. They tell you they are kindly when they positively hate you, and try to make you believe they are kind when their natures are cruel. This hypocrisy seems to be a human failing. One of your writers has said, with truth, that among civilized people, things are seldom what they seem. I've heard that, remarked Rob. On the other hand, continued the demon, some people with fierce countenances are kindly by nature, and many who appear to be evil are in reality honourable and trustworthy. Therefore, that you may judge all your fellow creatures truly, and know upon whom to depend, I give you 
the character marker. It consists of this pair of spectacles. While you wear them, everyone you meet will be marked upon the forehead with a letter indicating his or her character. The good will bear the letter G, the evil the letter E, the wise will be marked with a W, and the foolish with an F. The kind will show a K upon their forehead, and the cruel a C. Thus you may determine by a single look the true natures of all those you encounter. And are these electrical in their construction? asked the boy as he took the spectacles. Certainly. Goodness, wisdom, and kindness are natural forces, creating character. For this reason, men are not always to blame for bad character, as they acquire it unconsciously. All character sends out certain electrical vibrations, which these spectacles concentrate in their lenses and exhibit to the gaze of their wearer, as I have explained. It's a fine idea, said the boy. Who discovered it? It is a fact that has always existed, but is now utilized for the first time. Oh, said Rob. With these gifts and the ones you acquired a week ago, you are now equipped to astound the world and awaken mankind to a realization of the wonders that may be accomplished by natural forces. See that you employ these powers wisely in the interests of science, and do not forget your promise to exhibit your electrical marvels only to those who are most capable of comprehending them. I'll remember, said Rob. Then adieu until a week from today, when I will meet you here at this hour and bestow upon you the last three gifts which you are entitled to receive. Goodbye. Goodbye, repeated Rob. And in a gorgeous flash of color, the demon disappeared, leaving the boy alone in the room with his new and wonderful possessions. Chapter 9 The Second Journey By this time you will have gained a fair idea of Rob's character. He is in truth a typical American boy, possessing an average intelligence not yet regulated by the balance wheel of experience. The mysteries of electricity were so attractive to his eager nature that he had devoted considerable time and some study to electrical equipment. But his study was the superficial kind that seeks to master only such details as may be required at the moment. Moreover, he was full of boyish recklessness and irresponsibility, and therefore difficult to impress with the dignity of science and the gravity of human existence. Life to him was a great theater, wherein he saw himself the most interesting, if not the most important, actor, and so enjoyed the play with unbounded enthusiasm. Aside from the extraordinary accident which had forced the electrical demon into his life, Rob may be considered one of those youngsters who might possibly develop into a brilliant manhood or enter into an ordinary humdrum existence, as fate should determine. Just at present he had no thought beyond the passing hour, nor would he bother himself by attempting to look ahead or plan for the future. 
Yet the importance of his electrical possessions and the stern injunction of the demon to use them wisely had rendered the boy more thoughtful than at any previous time in his brief life, and he became so preoccupied at the dinner-table that his father and mother cast many anxious looks in his direction. Of course, Rob was anxious to test his newly acquired powers, and decided to lose no time in starting upon another journey. But he said nothing to any of his family about it, fearing to meet with opposition. He passed the evening in the sitting-room in the company of his father and mother and sisters, and even controlled his impatience to the extent of playing a game of karam with Nell. But he grew so nervous and impatient at last that his sister gave up the game in disgust and left him to his own amusement. At one time he thought of putting on the electric spectacles and seeing what the real character of each member of his family might be, but a sudden fear took possession of him that he might regret that act forever afterwards. They were his nearest and dearest friends on earth, and in his boyish heart he loved them all and believed in their goodness and sincerity. The possibility of finding a bad character mark on any of their familiar faces made him shudder, and he determined then and there never to use the spectacles to view the face of a friend or relative. Had any one at that moment been gazing at Rob through the lenses of the wonderful character marker, I'm sure a big W would have been found upon the boy's forehead. When the family circle broke up and all retired for the night, Rob kissed his parents and sisters with real affection before going off to his room. But on reaching his cozy little chamber, instead of preparing for bed, Rob clothed himself in the garment of repulsion. Then he covered the glittering garment with his best summer suit of clothes, which effectually concealed it. He now looked around to see what else he should take, and thought of an umbrella, a raincoat, a book or two to read during the journey, and several things besides. But he ended by leaving them all behind. "'I can't be loaded down with so much truck,' he decided. "'And I'm going into civilized countries this time, where I can get anything I need.' However, to prevent a recurrence of the mistake he had previously made, he tore a map of the world and a map of Europe from his geography book, and, folding them up, placed them in his pocket. He also took a small compass that had once been a watch-charm, and finally the contents of a small iron bank that opened with a combination lock. This presented all his savings, amounting to two dollars and seventeen cents, in dimes, nickels, and pennies. It's not a fortune, he thought as he counted it up, but I didn't need any money the last trip, so perhaps I'll get along somehow. I don't want to tackle Dad for more, for he might ask questions and try to keep me at home. By the time he had finished his preparations and stowed all his electrical belongings in his various pockets, it was nearly midnight and the house was quiet. So Rob stole downstairs in his stocking feet and noiselessly opened the back door. It was a beautiful July night, and in addition to the light of the full moon, the sky was filled with the radiance of countless thousands of brilliant stars. 
After Rob had put on his shoes, he unfolded the map, which was plainly visible by the starlight, and marked the direction he must take to cross the Atlantic and reach London, his first stopping place. Then he consulted his compass, put the indicator of his traveling machine to the word up, and shot swiftly into the air. When he reached a sufficient height, he placed the indicator to a point north of east, and with a steady and remarkably swift flight, began his journey. "'Here goes,' he remarked, with a sense of exultation, "'for another week of adventure. I wonder what'll happen between now and next Saturday.'" Chapter 10 How Rob Served a Mighty King The new traveling machine was a distinct improvement over the old one, for it carried Rob with a wonderful speed across the broad Atlantic. He fell asleep soon after starting, and only wakened when the sun was high in the heavens. But he found himself whirling along at a good rate, with the greenish shimmer of the peaceful ocean waves spread beneath him, far beyond his range of vision. Being in the track of the ocean steamers, it was not long before he found himself overtaking a magnificent vessel whose decks were crowded with passengers. He dropped down some distance to enable him to see these people more plainly, and while he hovered near he could hear the excited exclamations of the passengers, who focused dozens of marine glasses upon his floating form. This inspection somewhat embarrassed him, and having no mind to be stared at, he put on additional speed and soon left the steamer far behind. About noon the sky clouded over, and Rob feared a rainstorm was approaching. So he rose to a point considerably above the clouds, where the air was thin but remarkably pleasant to inhale, and the rays of the sun were not so hot as when reflected off the surface of the water. He could see the dark clouds rolling beneath him like volumes of smoke from a factory chimney, and knew the earth was catching a severe shower of rain, yet he congratulated himself on the foresight in not being burdened with an umbrella or raincoat since his elevated position rendered him secure from rain clouds. But, having cut himself off from the earth, there remained nothing to see except the clear sky overhead and the tumbling clouds beneath. So he took from his pocket the automatic record of events, and watched with breathless interest the incidents occurring in different parts of the world. A big battle was being fought in the Philippines, and so fiercely was it contested that Rob watched his progress for hours with rapt attention. Finally, a brave rally by the Americans sent their foes to the cover of the woods, where they scattered in every direction, only to form again in a deep valley hidden by high hills. "'If only I were there,' thought Rob. "'I could show that captain where to find the rebels and capture them.' but I guess the Philippines are rather out of my way, so our soldiers will never know how near they are to a complete victory. The boy also found considerable amusement in watching the course of insurrection in Venezuela, where opposing armies of well-armed men preferred to bluster and threaten rather than come to blows. During the evening he found that an important event was Madame Bernhard's production of a new play and Rob followed it from beginning to end with great enjoyment, although he felt a bit guilty at not having purchased a ticket. "'But it's a crowded house anyway,' he reflected, 
and I'm not taking up a reserved seat or keeping anyone else from seeing the show, so what's the harm? Yet, it seems to me if these records get to be common as the demon wishes, people will all stay at home and see the shows, and the poor actors will just starve to death. The thought made him uneasy, and he began for the first time to entertain a doubt to the demon's wisdom in forcing such devices upon humanity. The clouds had now passed away, and the moon sent her rays to turn the edges of the waves into glistening showers of jewels. Rob closed the lid of the wonderful record of events, and soon fell into a deep sleep that held him unconscious for many hours. When he awoke, he gave a start of surprise, for beneath him was land. How long it was since he had left the ocean behind him, he could not guess, but his first thought was to set the indicator of the traveling machine to zero and hover over the country until he could determine where he was. This was no easy matter. He saw green fields, lakes, groves, and villages, but these might exist in any country. Being still at a great elevation, he descended gradually until he was about twenty feet from the surface of the earth, where he paused near the edge of a small village. At once a crowd of excited people assembled, shouting to one another and pointing toward him in wonder. In order to be prepared for emergencies, Rob had taken the electric tube from his pocket, and now as he examined the dress and features of the people below, the tube suddenly slipped from his grasp and fell to the ground where one end stuck slantingly into the soft earth. A man rushed eagerly toward it, but the next moment he threw up his hands and fell upon his back unconscious. Others, who ran to assist their fallen comrade, quickly tumbled into a heap beside him. It was evident to Rob that the tube had fallen in such a position that the button was being pressed continuously, and a current of electric fluid issued to shock whoever came near. Not wishing to injure these people, he dropped to the ground and drew the tube from the earth, thus releasing the pressure upon the button. But the villagers had now decided that the boy was an enemy, and no sooner had he touched the ground than a shower of stones and sticks rained upon him. Not one reached his body, however, for the garment of repulsion stopped their flight and returned them to rattle with more or less force against those who had thrown them. "'Like regular boomerangs!' thought Rob. To receive their own blows in this fashion seemed so like magic to these simple folk that with roars of fear and pain they ran away in all directions. "'It's no use stopping here,' remarked Rob regretfully, "'for I've spoiled my welcome by this accident. But I think these people are Irish by their looks and speech, so I must be somewhere in the Emerald Isle.' He consulted his map and decided upon the general direction he should take to reach England after which he rose into the air and before long was passing over the channel toward the shores of England. Either his map or compass or his calculations proved wrong, for it was high noon before, having changed his direction a half-dozen times, he came to the great city of London. He saw at first glance that it would never do to drop into the crowded streets unless he wanted to become an object of public curiosity, so he looked around for a suitable place to alight. Nearby was a monstrous church that sent a sharp steeple far into the air. Rob examined the spire and saw a narrow opening in the masonry that led to a small room where a chime of bells hung. He crept through that opening, and finding a ladder that connected the belfry with a platform below, began to descend. 
There were three ladders and then a winding flight of narrow, rickety stairs to be passed before Rob finally reached a small room in the body of the church. This room proved to have two doors, one connected with the auditorium and the other letting them into his side street. Both were locked, but Rob pointed the electric tube at the outside door and broke the lock in an instant. Then he walked into the street as composedly as if he had lived all his life in London. There were plenty of sights to see, you may be sure, and Rob walked around until he was so tired he was glad to rest upon one of the benches in a beautiful park. Here, half hidden by the trees, he amused himself by looking at the record of events. "'London's a great town, and no mistake,' he said to himself. "'Let's see what the British are doing in South Africa today.' He turned the cylinder to South Africa, and, opening the lid, at once became interested. An English column, commanded by a brave but stubborn officer, was surrounded by the Boer forces and fighting desperately to avoid capture or annihilation. "'This would be interesting to King Edward,' thought the boy. "'Guess I'll hunt him up and tell him about it.' A few steps away stood a policeman. Rob approached him and asked, "'Where's the king today?' The officer looked at him with mingled surprise and suspicion. "'His Majesty is sojourning at Marble House just now,' was the reply. "'Perhaps you want to make him a visit, huh?' he continued with lofty sarcasm. "'That's it, exactly,' said Rob. "'I'm an American, and thought while I was in London I'd drop in on His Royal Majesty and say hello to him.' The officer chuckled as if much amused. "'Americans are bloomin' green,' he remarked. "'So yous can stand for American right enough. "'No other visitors are such blasted fools. "'But yon's the palace, I suppose His Majesty'll give you his reception there.' "'Thanks, I'll look him up,' said the boy, "'and left the officer convulsed with laughter. "'He soon knew why. "'The palace was surrounded by a cordon of the king's own lifeguards.' who admitted no one save those who presented proper credentials. "'Well, there's only one thing to do,' thought Rob, "'and that's to walk straight in, "'as I haven't any friends to give me a regular introduction.' So he boldly advanced to the gate, where he found himself stopped by crossed carbines and a cry of halt. "'Excuse me,' said Rob, "'but I'm in a hurry.' He pushed the carbines aside and marched on. The soldiers made thrusts at him with their weapons, and an officer jabbed at his breast with a glittering sword, but the garment of repulsion protected him from these dangers as well as from a hail of bullets that followed his advancing figure. He reached the entrance of the palace only to face another group of guardsmen and a second order to halt, and as these soldiers were over six feet tall and stood shoulder to shoulder, Rob saw he could not hope to pass them without using his electric tube. "'Stand aside, you fellows!' he ordered. There was no response. He extended the tube, and as he pressed the button, described a semicircle with the instrument. Immediately the tall guardsmen toppled over like so many ten-pins, and Rob stepped across their bodies and penetrated to the reception room, where a brilliant assemblage waited in hushed and anxious groups for opportunity to obtain audience with the king.' "'I hope His Majesty isn't busy,' said Rob to a solemn-visaged official who confronted him. "'I want to have a little talk with him.' "'I beg your 
"'Pardon!' exclaimed the astounded master of ceremonies. "'What is your name, please?' "'Oh, never mind my name,' replied Rob, and pushing the gentleman aside, he entered the audience chamber of the great king. King Edward was engaged in earnest consultation with one of his ministers, and after a look of surprise in Rob's direction, and a grave bow, he bestowed no further attention upon the intruder. But Rob was not to be baffled now. "'Your Majesty,' he interrupted, "'I've important news for you. A big fight is taking place in South Africa, and your soldiers will probably be cut into mincemeat.' The minister strode toward the boy angrily. "'Explain this intrusion!' he cried. "'I have explained. The Boers are having a regular killing spree. Here, take a look at it for yourselves.' He drew the record from his pocket, and at the movement the minister shrank back as if he suspected it was an infertile machine and might blow his head off. But the king stepped quietly to the boy's side and looked into the box when Rob threw open the lid. As he comprehended the full wonder of the phenomenon he was observing, Edward uttered a low cry of amazement. But thereafter he silently gazed upon the fierce battle that still raged far away upon the African veldt. Before long his keen eye recognized the troops engaged and realized their imminent danger. "'They will be utterly annihilated,' he gasped. "'What shall we do?' "'Oh, we can't do anything just now,' answered Rob. "'But it's curious to watch how bravely the poor fellows fight for their lives, isn't it?' The minister, who by this time was also peering into the box, groaned aloud, and then all three forgot their surroundings and the tragedy they were beholding. Hemmed in by vastly superior numbers, the English were calmly and stubbornly resisting every inch of advance, and selling their lives dearly as possible. Their leader fell pierced by a hundred bullets, and the king who had known him from boyhood passed his hand across his eyes as if to shut out the awful sight. But the fascination of the battle forced him to look again, and the next moment he cried aloud, "'Look there! Look there!' Over the edge of a line of hills appeared the helmets of a file of English soldiers. They reached the summit, followed by rank after rank, until the hillside was alive with them, and then with a ringing cheer that came like a faint echo to the ears of the three watchers, they broke into a run and dashed forward to the rescue of their brave comrades. The Boers faltered, gave back, and the next moment fled precipitately, while the exhausted survivors of the courageous band fell sobbing into the arms of their rescuers. Rob closed the lid of the record with a sudden snap that betrayed his deep feeling, and the king pretended to cough behind his handkerchief and stealthily wiped his eyes. "'Well, I guess it wasn't so bad after all,' remarked the boy with assumed cheerfulness. "'But it looked mighty ticklish for your men at one time.' King Edward regarded the boy curiously, remembering his abrupt entrance and the marvelous device he had exhibited. "'What do you call that?' he asked, pointing at the record with a finger that trembled slightly from excitement. "'It's a new electrical invention,' replied Rob, replacing it in his pocket, "'and so constructed that events are reproduced at the exact moment that they occur.' "'Where can I purchase one?' 
demanded the king eagerly. They're not for sale, said Rob. This one of mine is the first that ever happened. Oh? I really think, continued the boy, nodding sagely, that it wouldn't be well to have these records scattered around. Their use would give some folks unfair advantage over others, you know. Certainly. I only showed you this battle because I happened to be in London at the time and thought you'd be interested. Well, that was very kind of you, said Edward. But how did you gain admittance? Well, to tell the truth, I was obliged to knock over a few of your tall lifeguards. They seem to think you're a good thing and need looking after, like jam in the cupboard. The king smiled. I hope you haven't killed my guards, he said. Oh, no, they'll come around all right. It is necessary, continued Edward, that public men be protected from intrusion, no matter how democratic they may be personally. You would probably find it as difficult to approach the President of the United States as the King of England. Oh, I'm not complaining, said Rob. It wasn't much trouble to break through. You seem quite young to have mastered such wonderful secrets of nature, continued the King. So I am, replied Rob modestly. But these natural forces have really existed since the beginning of the world, and someone was sure to discover them in time. He was quoting the demon, although unconsciously. "'You're an American, I suppose,' said the minister, coming close to Rob and staring him in the face. "'Guessed right the first time!' answered the boy, drawing his character-marking spectacles from his pocket and putting them on and staring at the minister in turn. Upon the man's forehead appeared the letter E. "'Your Majesty,' said Rob, "'I have here another queer invention. "'Will you please wear these spectacles for a few moments?' "'The king at once put them on. "'They are called character markers,' continued the boy, "'because the lenses catch and concentrate the character vibrations "'radiated from every human individual "'and reflect the true character of that person upon his forehead. "'If a letter G appears, you may be sure his disposition is good. "'If his forehead is marked with an E, his character is evil, "'and you must beware of treachery.' The king saw the E plainly marked upon his minister's forehead, but he said nothing except, Thank you, and returned the spectacles to Rob. But the minister, who from the first had been ill at ease, now became positively angry. Do not believe him, your majesty, he cried. It is a trick and meant to deceive you. I did not accuse you, answered the king sternly, and then he added, I wish to be alone with this young gentleman. The minister left the room with an anxious face and a hanging head. Now, said Rob, let's look over the record of the past day and see if that fellow has been up to any mischief. He turned the cylinder of the record to England, and slowly the events of the last twenty-four hours were reproduced, one after another, upon the polished plate. Before long the king uttered an exclamation. The record pictured a small room in which were seated three gentlemen engaged in earnest conversation. One of them was the accused minister. "'Those men,' said the king in a low voice, while he pointed out the other two, "'are my avowed enemies. This is proof that your wonderful spectacles indicated 
my minister's character with perfect truth. I am grateful to you for thus putting me upon my guard, for I have trusted that man fully. Oh, don't mention it, replied the boy lightly. I'm glad to have been of service to you, but it's time for me to go. I hope you will favor me with another interview, said the king, for I am much interested in your electrical inventions. I will instruct my guards to admit you at any time, so you will not be obliged to fight your way in. All right, but it doesn't really matter, answered Rob. It's no trouble at all to just knock him over. Then he remembered his manners and bowed low before the king, who seemed to him a fine fellow and not a bit stuck up, and then he walked calmly from the palace. The people in the outer room stared at him wonderingly, and the officer of the guard saluted the boy respectfully. But Rob only smiled in an amused way as he marched past them, with his hands thrust deep into his trouser pockets, and his straw hat tipped jauntily back upon his head.